Streaming services galore. It could be expensive. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys episode 118. 118 weeks since we started this. All right. Uh, if you are not familiar with us, we are Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. Like we said, uh, we talk about PlayStation majorly, but we do talk about everybody in the industry and how we think it pertains to the competition and everything. Um this episode's primarily going to be us talking about, uh, once we get to the end, the main topic, we're going to get to the main meat of it, will be about streaming services and the future of that, based around a user question from one of our community members. But before that, we're going to go through our traditional episode. So, uh, you know, if this is your first time listening, like I said, you can find us on YouTube in video format. You can do that every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. Subscribe and hit that notification bell. Let you know when all these things go live, like I just said, as well as, well as our extra content, uh, just to, so you don't even have to remember it. If you don't want to watch our ugly mugs, though, you can go to podcast services, be it, you, uh, be it SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play Music, iTunes. You can find us there. If, there, if we're not on one that you like to use, uh, let us know and we'll get that fixed. But we think we're on most of them. Uh, but if you want to chime in to what we're talking about on YouTube, you can do so in the comments below. If you're listening to us through podcast services, you can always hit us up on our social media, which is at triangle SQRD for our Twitter. You can find us on Facebook in the group triangle squared, a PlayStation podcast Ask to be entered into that. And I'll gladly, uh, as well as some of the other moderators will gladly let you in, uh, where you can give your questions for a read mail as well as other things and your input on the community's take segment. And if you want to join our day-to-day moment-to-moment life with all, as well as some of the other community members, you can join the Discord that we have down in the link below or the link in the description below. Can't talk today. And lastly, if you would like to support the show in any manner, you can do so by going over to our Patreon where you get cool stuff like early access to our reader mail and our off-topic podcast. Uh, not this one just because of how close to the cut we, we film and, and get it going. Uh, but you can also get cool custom cases and other things. So head over there if you'd like to support us. Otherwise, just keep listening for free like always. With that said, I think it's time to start this thing off the right way. Saw what's been up to. Uh, I've been playing a fair amount of Destiny 2. Not a whole lot this week, though. Uh, I think I only played for like two, maybe three nights this week total. So had a lot of stuff going on with work and stuff. And, of course, we had HypeCon, one of our local annual conventions I was telling you guys about last episode. That was fairly fun to be at. Uh, And, you know, didn't really play much last night when we uh, got back from that. So I kind of plan to remedy that this go-around because I... We'll be downloading games on like other systems. Like uh, I did download some. I, I did play on my Switch a fair amount this week, more than my PS4. Um, and I downloaded Fable Anniversary on Steam last night. That I'm gonna get into probably. I don't know tonight. Whenever I get home around eight. Maybe. Have you played it? Depends it at on all? Who's Destiny? Huh? Did you play the 360 version? A Fable? Yeah, oh. Fable Anniversary. Oh yeah, that was the well. Let me hold on. Let me make sure. That was the one that came included with the Jack of All Blades DLC, right? No, that's the Lost Chapters. I'm talking no, about... No, no, I'm talking about it came included with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it came then with yeah, it. Then yes. yeah, then yeah. Okay. Yeah, make it sure. Because um, the Lost Chapters was the DLC name, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, and it was also the bundle when they re-released it. It's weird. Um, no, yeah, I, I remember the case for the anniversary, or the uh, anniversary edition, and I remember it currently had silver around it, mm-hmm. like, uh, or trim or some kind. Yeah, Something I had like that, that one. Yeah. Um, but... For those that have never played Fable, even though this is a PlayStation podcast, I highly recommend Fable 1 and 2, some of the best RPGs of 
all time. Well, it, was, it came at a weird time when I don't think a lot of console manufacturers were doing RPGs as exclusives. You no, know? and there's still stuff in that game that you you haven't seen done in other games, and you certainly haven't seen it done to the level of, I don't want to say perfection, but the level of quality that is in Fable. The whole, um, what is it called? It's the uh, good-bad system. I, I think The morality system. Morality system, I guess, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but Which, yeah, that that's whole been system, used in a lot of other games. It's been used in other fair, games. Yeah. It just hasn't been used as well. Like, it didn't change your full appearance and all that cool stuff. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know because I don't really know how familiar you are with Infamous, but I think the only other game, and it's odd that it's exclusive from the opposing team, but, you know, I think Infamous is the closest it's ever gotten. It changes the story. It actually changes the way people interact with you. It changes the way you look completely. See, now, did, oh, is it completely an Infamous? You, okay. Yes. Then I, I really wish they'd remastered You those. get really pale in the skin, and you start to have red-like veins that are popping out throughout your whole body and you look really evil very similar to Do what you get cool horns nah oh, just see, because nah, it's that's... grounded in real reality yeah, instead of fantasy I would but... say that's, that's one of the things that Fable did really cool was the horns that like I think on even Fable I say grounded too... in reality for a game that lets you shoot lightning from your hands but what I mean is that it's a little more based around the normal instead of high fantasy with horns and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, you get you get them. But that's been pretty much this this week. What about you, Brett? What have you been playing? I play a little bit of everything. So I picked up Crash Team Racing as I was a huge fan of the original on PlayStation One. I've not played it in a long time, um, and I gotta say, I don't know. I, I may have actually chose a, a poor way to do things by getting Team Sonic Racing first because I don't know if I'm either carted out. Or if Team Sonic Racing was just better because it's it's gotten to really evolve. A lot, or it's gotten to, I'm trying to think of the word to use, but it's gotten to continue and, and work with the in, improvements across the genre for kart racing that I don't think that we're seeing in the CTR remake because they're trying so hard to have the CTR remake. And I think they chose the right direction. But to make it be faithful to the original, which says two things. One that the original game played way better than anything in the competition around the time for it to still play almost essentially the exact same. They've made sure it felt the exact same way and it still feels good. But there's some things that I feel like it doesn't do as well as some kart racers by continuously expanding on something that came before it mechanically in an effort to be so much like the original there's things I really liked in Team Sonic Racing that are not here. And I don't know if, if I'm just... It could be that Team Sonic Racing is just better. And I think that that might actually be the case. And it's not weird that it could be better, in my opinion. And that's just my opinion. Uh, but I also still love the game. So I bought it. I'm keeping it. I'm enjoying playing it. It's just different. Uh, and, and playing it right alongside another modern kart racer has been a little interesting. Um, but I've been playing that, enjoying that. One of the things that it has that I think every kart racer should have, though, that I'll give it huge credit for, is I love the idea of the adventure mode where you have maps that have all the tracks on them. So you actually roll around the map and then go to the racing. It's just cool. And it was definitely weird in the time when you had Mario Kart being the same way it is today where it's all just tracks in a menu. And you go through it, you know. Right. Uh, and and I, I like that aspect. Uh, there's another game that's a uh, spiritual uh, kind of, what do you want to say? I, I'm not going to say a successor because it's not by the same people. But it's essentially somebody taking the heart and soul of that game. It's a PS4 game that I haven't been able to play yet, but I've seen a lot of it. And I want to pick it up. It's called Bears Can't Drift. <laughs> and it's very similar in that it has uh, it has an open world that you, you roll through. And uh, I like that idea. It's cool. Um, 
But past that, I picked Anthem back up, like I was saying, and was playing it uh, primarily to get the Platinum, and I now have the Platinum, so my time with Anthem is done until the Cataclysm event comes. I will gladly play it then. I played with Porter, one of our patrons, thank you, sir, uh, as well as RJ Loki, longtime buddies. We all hopped back in, and we all surprisingly had a good time. Uh, Porter played the new, uh, like I talked about last time, the the new Stronghold that me and Randy had played, Yeah, and uh, uh, Porter hopped in, and we did that together, and... uh, (laughs) And RJ did too, actually, at first, but it ended up kicking him. So the game is still not completely problem-free, but for the most part, it's still okay. It's fun, and that's what matters to me. So I still hope the game goes somewhere good. Um, But let's see. Past that, I did finally get back into Destiny 2 once I got the Platinum for Anthem. I've I've played twice since then. Um, It's a good time. I picked up... uh, I think I burnt myself out just... And it's funny that I was talking about playing too many kart races at one time. Uh, When I was playing my Vita... A few, this has been months ago, uh, probably maybe even a year ago. I was playing uh, Steam Dig, Steam World Dig, mm-hmm. and uh, I immediately I loved it because uh, it's kind of like a different take on a game that I love called Motherload. That was a originally a Flash game, and then they came out with a PS4 version. It launched a PS4 called Super Motherload, and it's where like you're a mining ship. And you can go down, get minerals and ores and stuff, bring them back to the surface, sell them, and upgrade your ship so you can go deeper and get better ores. It's kinda, I think I remember you telling me about yeah, this. Yeah, I love before. the game. It's it's great. And I, I love the game before it, which was the Flash game that was a little that was a lot shorter, but it was still fun in the same spirit. It's that kind of game, and it's a take on that, which I'm assuming is similar to Dig Dug. I've never played Dig Dug, so it's just a, literally an assumption. Um but I like the I like the style of that, uh, and it's this way. It's more like you're a person who gets power ups, and some of them you find underground randomly, as well as coming back to the surface. Uh, but I picked up Steamworld Dig Two uh, almost immediately, uh, and I think I was just kind of wore out on the genre, and I dropped it after playing it for a little bit. But I picked my Vita back up, and uh, and I've been playing Final Fantasy VI, uh, which is another game I played this week. But then I was kind of like, you know what? I want to tr- jump back into SteamWorld Dig 2, and I played it and loved it. So so it's kind of similar to Motherload. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've actually played that game before. Like uh, I was looking at it on mini clips. It was, I think it, I actually want to bring up in the off-topic podcast today about the memories of mini clips websites <laughs> and doing it in school and stuff. That was a favorite school game. I used to play that in East Lab. <laughs> yeah. I had a couple on here. This this one in particular, like eight ball pool, boy, you couldn't beat me in that game. There's another mini clips game that's really great. Or it may not be mini clips. It's actually X-Gen Studios, but it's uh, Stick RPG 2. Yeah, those are good. It is amazing. Stick RPG 1 was fun, but it was just really limited because it was a really early flash game but two got pretty interesting you know well there was a a game we'll we'll talk about more of this on uh, the off topic one there was a game uh where it's like stick figures and like you tried your like best to kill them or whatever like you could feel the little it was just a blank screen but you could fill the world with like water or you could do like sand yeah you know what? Flash games are an interesting time because they all came for uh, for all of us. You know, for all free. of our friends. Yeah, it's all free games that we can play on computers at the school. Where at the time we were having to use uh, what do they even call those things? I don't know why I can't remember it because they're so unnecessary. But essentially the same as like a VPN where you can go through and uh, firewall. It gets you passed. To, yeah. It's not a firewall. Well, I'm but it gets, to get passed. past the school's firewall. Yeah. yeah. So those are fun times. But anyway. Uh, Moving along, uh, we'll go ahead and move into the community's take before we get going. Uh, one thing we're going to move forward with, and let us know if y'all really care that much, and we'll definitely reconsider it. Uh, but last episode was the first time that we were cutting the drop. We're not going to mess with that anymore. Yeah, uh, I think for the most part, if you're listening to this, you're probably up to date within reason on what's going to be coming out. Um, but some of the things that are coming out may be may pop up in the news, and we'll talk about it that way. Uh, but, you know, 
either way we are going to go ahead and hit the community's take and that question was based off of Saul's thing last time this is a short and sweetened version of it based off of what we've been told so far are the next gen consoles exciting to you what's your favorite bit of info they've announced so far do you feel like they are more of the same in a bad way or do you consider that a good thing um and I'm going to go ahead and grab a few, just like we talked about. This is a pretty popular segment, which we appreciate. Uh, but because of that, we don't want too much of last gen. Because the community takes questions are always somewhat based around something we talked about in the previous episode. Um, but with that said, I'm going to choose one from here. And I'm actually going to do two from Facebook because there's one short one that I think is pretty interesting. And it's, it, it's not that it's a, a lone opinion. Uh, it's just that. I get it's one of those things where it's just really against my own opinion. You know, I think it's, it's, I'll say one thing about it, but Mr. Jeff Schrock says, I feel like it's too soon to buy a new console already. Just my opinion. And I respect the opinion. The only reason that it's weird. It's, I feel like that expectation has changed so much for two reasons. One, the PS3 and 360 gen was so long. Uh, it was seven years for PlayStation three and it was eight years for Xbox 360, which was an incredibly long generation. Yeah. Uh, and that came it's, it, it, we all know why it happened. There was a financial collapse and all sorts of things. We kind of needed to keep the same system. They weren't trying to do anything. They thought consoles were going to die. There's a million things that happened. Uh, but you know, before that it's weird. Cause like you had the PlayStation one, which had a five year cycle. Pretty much. Yep. You had a PS two, which had a, five to six year cycle and then you had the ps3 which suddenly went to seven and now you have this one which by the time we have the new consoles come out will be a seven year cycle essentially right and that's actually a really long generation but there's something that's here that is a kind of tie and it was the other one i was going to mention for mr matt hunt he says for me personally backwards compatibility isn't the thing of importance when i move to a new gen the past stays just that the past the faster loading times seem to be a nice feature but couldn't i do that now by simply going out and buying my own ssd with the mid-gen upgrades such as the pro and the one x i do feel like the jump is premature and that goes into that and actually jeff schrock was actually talking about that the he said my thoughts exactly about well, that it, it's funny too because the one that i picked on T Twitter from Jack, he also did bring up load times, which I think that uh, just past this past week, you know, we almost ended the show with me talking about an SSD, and I actually did buy one for my PS4. I bought a Samsung uh, 850 Evo, and I tried it out, and I, I'm using an external closure. So um, what I'm basically have done is expanded my storage by only 250 gigs because I got the minimum. I didn't want to get like a 500 gigabyte one or anything like that. Well, because you're using it for a select game. I'm using it for a select games and I'm getting a 500 gigabyte one on my PC whenever Destiny does come out for PC to keep up with the, the speeds. And it's and it's improved. It's 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 Oh, and cross-save hits. Yeah, cross-save. Does it cross-play? You said when Destiny comes to PC. Oh, yeah, when the cross-play <laughs> uh, or cross-save save keyword comes to PC. But, um... One thing, though, that I'll say is that it's about double the speed with Destiny. So if you play Destiny and you want your better speeds, whether it's traveling to certain places, then yeah. But uh, I would recommend it. I will say, though, that I, I do not like um, thinking that console generation should be as long as seven to eight years. I, I think that that's fairly too long. And I think that the reason that the PS4 Pro came out was because of that is because uh, the with the way technology works now is that it's just way too far advancing for, you know, 
eight years. You're going to have way superior technology by the end of that eight years versus what you had at the beginning, and it's hard to You're going to have way superior technology in a four-year window. In a four-year window, yeah. yeah. So it's just it's Which is hard. why in the past I think you used to see a four- to five-year generation, you know, well, five- and, to six-year. And the big thing, too, about these mid-console refreshes, which is why I don't typically like stuff like this, is because you buy one, you know, mid-console gen, and then they come out with it, and you're like, well, I just spent $400 on a Pro, like, a year and a half ago, and now mm-hmm. i got to spend $500 on a PS5. It's not worth it. Well, it's not worth it because it's the console generation's, uh, the the length of their, uh, their generation. It's their fault. It's the fault of their being way too long spread out, coming out with something in the middle of the gen. It makes you feel like you don't want the new one by the time this one comes out. And I do think yeah. that... Um, I have one thing to say about that. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, and, and only because I, I think you'll agree, but I think on the surface it is that you think you know that way it goes with, oh, okay, yeah, they're just, because it's so long, they're trying to put something in the middle. I think that you're right on the... Partially, it's because technology gets so much better so much quicker. But I also think, and I've said it before, I don't think they went as heavy on the hog as they could have with the PS4 and Xbox One because they were worried about consoles dying. That's what they all they kept hearing from all analysts and everybody was, phones, yeah. phones are going to kill consoles. So but what that- they did out of the gate was, for the first time in history, not sell the console at a loss and also made sure that not only were they not selling at a loss, they were they were actually making a profit. So that worst case scenario, they didn't lose money with every console they made. They actually made a little bit of money. And I think the reason they came back later is, you know, the PS4 started and hit so well that I think Sony had a renewed energy in making sure they made a monster of a console as, as close as they could. And I actually wish I wouldn't have said monster. That gives me like nom flashbacks to the last year's Xbox E3 when they kept talking about the One X being a monster. I don't remember that. And it was fine the first time, but they said it like eight times. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But anyway, that that was all I'm saying there is I do think that it was a little bit of a, of a weird situation based around the fact that the consoles weren't pushed as far as they could have and sold at a loss because there was a lot of fear about literally having companies, definitely Sony, at a time when they were still trying to crawl their way back up into the black, is like, what are we going to do? We don't need to lose money on these consoles. We can't do that on something that analysts think is going to die. Well, any time that I heard that consoles are going to be dead, it's the same almost clickbaity style of article and news that was single player games are dying it's just like no it's Which not is clearly not true yeah well yeah. The, the consoles clearly weren't dying not everybody's gonna have a smartphone that wants to play games on. i agree stuff. yeah i so, agree like I, I do think though that just the, the the way the console gens work and i'm not saying it's anybody's particular fault i'm just saying it's the fault of you know people you know i always have this saying that it's very true and it's very a well-known saying is that if you don't adapt technology will never advance if you do not buy, if you, if you know, if your companies don't take advantage of power, technology won't ever advance because it breeds competition and it breeds manufacturers to push harder to get more sales from manufacturers for graphics cards and CPUs and stuff like that. And it literally helps create the technology. And when you have an eight gen console uh, or an eight year console gen, it's really hard. And the, the 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 further we go into the future, the quicker technology is going to be able to advance in a very smaller amount of time. What you saw us advance in eight years this gen will be three to four years next gen. And that's the problem, right? Is that nobody wants to spend money on it because it's not doing great upgrades and stuff. Or maybe they don't think it's worth that $500 upgrade. Well, as long as Sony can keep doing this, because Xbox has been doing this for this whole gen now, and that's backwards compatibility with their consoles... Think of it as a, 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 you're future-proofing it. And by all means, 
future proofing doesn't mean you have to get it at launch. Like you could get it a year into launch and you're still good because you can play everything on PS4 with PS5. And I think it's important to remember that. Like you're not going to be, um, it's not going to be the most important purchase of the world because the games that are coming out, Death Stranding, Last of Us 2, Ghost of Tsushima, these games are going to be playable on you, the console you currently have, and the PS5. Yep. And, with potentially benefits on the PS5 yeah. without even having to do a re-release, yeah. uh, which is something we'll get into as well uh, around something that Kiki said. Um, well, but, let me go with Jack real quick on Twitter because yeah, this ahead. ties into this. And he says, uh, way faster loading times does excite me as the modern gamer uh, is so time poor and I love driving in for a few minutes when I can. Specs beyond that just don't do it for me personally as I'm not a tech head. And that kind of goes back into, mm-hmm. you you know, Early stuff in this generation is not going to be able to see the 4K 120 frames per second that everybody's touting, specifically Microsoft, mainly because there's not 120, uh, there's not 120 hertz TV um, that's accessible to the average consumer. So my thing is, is that you're not going to see these advances early in the gen, just like you do with every console gen. So you may not see it till two years after. While there are going to be games, though, first party games specifically, who are going to take ties of. Uh, what we said with AI, with uh, physics engines, with stuff like that, where you're really going to see. And load times, like with what Sony's touting with the SSD, the load times are, if if what that said is true, true, is revolutionary. Um, and to tap back off of what Matt was saying, just because... Saul did a test with his new SSD for Destiny 2 to see how much it would improve the load times, and it cut it by about half. Yeah. But Sony's going way further than that. So if you look at that in every game and say, current SSD on a PS4 Pro, which is what Saul has, um, are going to cut the time down by about a half. They're saying Spider-Man load times that would originally take 8 to 12 seconds took 1.9 seconds. That's way less than half. Yeah. That's, you know. And when you think about it, the reason that this SSD was worth the price, because the SSD, the enclosure, and I got a 10 gigabyte USB-C cable, it was it was $90 for everything. Um, that was worth the price of entry for me because when you play Destiny for four hours, and the tests that I did were standard tests that you would do while playing the game, Go into the tower from the start screen, go into the EDZ from the tower, going back to the tower from the EDZ, stuff like that is stuff you do multiple times. And just doing that run once, where I basically just did a, nor- a very normal loop. You would go do a mission, you'd go back to the tower. Uh, open li- your menu, yeah, see opening how quickly my menu, it takes to load the menu up. It took me about five, se- five and a half seconds on uh, normal PS4 to open up and have everything loaded. It took me less than two seconds to do it on the SSD. So it literally made it to where pressing start, once it goes to that initial menu buffer, your, your character is just there. And you can immediately, everything, weapons, all that stuff's in your inventory loaded. So when you think about it, the six minutes I say, or the three minutes that I saved uh, doing normal stuff, when you multiply that by five hours of gameplay or four hours of gameplay, you're getting a lot more you, gameplay. I, you're, you're getting a lot more game and you're getting a lot more time to save. So it's well worth it. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is, you know, Matt said, why can't I do that with a PS4 now with an SSD? I actually think me and Saul were talking prior to him putting it in about a bunch of different things as to what was the best way to do it. And it actually seems like one of the biggest reasons as the way, one thing I, we hadn't even thought of, because it does depend on, like Jack said, are you a tech head or not? Do these things even really matter to you or make sense to you? Or do you just want the results? Yeah, it doesn't mean anything But in you. the back end of us trying to make, uh, trying to wonder how this is happening, one thing to think of is that the PS4 and even the Pro, a lot of the limitations actually come from the hardware and the way they choose to do stuff. So, on the PS4, you have SATA limits because of the SATA that they use, which is a connection to your hard drive to the motherboard. Uh, that's one thing that has a limit because it's older technology for SATA. So it has a, it moves less data 
than it otherwise could. So even if you have a drive that can push that data out quicker, does the cable push the data as quickly as a drive? And will you get yes. some worse returns that way? Uh, so I think that what Sony might be doing is finding a way to better optimize a, a, a SSD could be SATA for a console, but it also could be improvements in SATA hardware and all that stuff. So I think that that's actually... If you want to get them the same way that Sony's talking about, it almost seems like you're going to have to go with the PS5 because there's improvements on the hardware that are yeah. going to make it work that and, way. And another thing that I found out, and I found this out from uh, various NeoGAF forums when looking at it, a lot of people have the conversation of, should I put the SSD in the PS4 or should I buy an enclosure for it and have it connected via USB? And it looks like the way the motherboard works in the PS4 is that the motherboard chipset for this for SATA is SATA 2 where the actual SATA port or the uh, um, SATA connector is USB 3 I mean SATA 3 so um, that's the problem there is a bottlenecks when you have it in your console whereas if you have it USB it's not exactly as as bottlenecked it's actually quicker if you have it externally than internally but it's neg negligible like Unless you have a terabyte SSD laying around, I would get a cheaper 250 gig one for certain games that you're playing. Just to be an external. Um, one of the videos I watched for comparisons for this was, uh, one was Monster Hunter World, and it literally, from the time he clicked X on the um, screen to go into Monster Hunter World to where he was in uh, character and everything was about 30 seconds. Wow, that's pretty good. So it, yep. it was ridiculous. So I highly suggest an SSD, and if you guys have any questions about that, let me know. Because I can kind of answer it. It's, it's super easy, though. You just snap it into an enclosure, and then you throw a USB into the enclosure and throw it in your PS4, and you format it, and you transfer over a game, and you're good to go. All right, two quick ones from our Discord, well, and then we'll uh, move uh, on. To finish off Jack's real quick, oh, though. sorry, go ahead. He did have a bottom part. He said, I just want to know how will next-gen uh, next games allow me to tell, or how will next-gen games allow games to tell better stories? What I am excited for is I want to dive into that. I think you, Jack, just gave us our next topic because I am curious uh, and I want to have good conversation about how a PS5 or Xbox Scarlet will allow, uh, with the processing power and stuff, will allow next-gen games to uh, to feel like next-gen games. And on top of that, but tell a story with it as well. So, Yeah, that'll be an interesting one to dive wanna, into. Wanna, yeah, maybe and it might not be next topic, but um, the closer we get to the PS5, next-gen topics, PS5 topics, those are going to be fairly abundant for us. So this is going to be a good supplementing one to it. Sure. All right, real quick, Atlas Unchained, one of our patrons, thank you, sir, says, I am excited. Feels like PS4 2.0. And I, he means that in a good way. <laughs> I don't think we will see a giant graphical leap, but the idea of faster loading times, more advanced AI, and more processing power hopefully means bigger and better and more interactive living worlds. Um, and you know what? I like that. It's a short, sweet... And it sounds like exactly his thing, you know, it being more of what he already liked about the PS4, but just better is not a bad thing. Uh, and that, and then we're going to go to Kiki real quick. He says, not really. I feel like games will be released on 4 and 5, and they will slowly start winging games off of the 4 and move exclusively to the 5, like they did with the PS3 to the PS4. With The Last of Us Part 2 pretty much confirmed by Ellie's voice actor to be coming out in February, which was a, a thing, uh, which, you know, who knows if, if she had the most up-to-date information, but it seems plausible. Uh, I won't be excited for a re-release on the 5, but I will eventually pick it up down the road. Now, that goes into what I was talking about a second ago. I think that you're, I mean, you're right, Kiki. I think that there's a lot of benefits that will happen by a lot of games. The, the 4 still has plenty of games. Exclusives are not going to be on the 4. That's going to be the one thing. Sony has no reason to 
bastardize their potential for the PS5 by releasing exclusives for it that are made to also work on the 4. And I mean that in the sense of the games won't be able to be pushed as hard and it goes into why I don't particularly agree with the idea of forwards compatibility that Xbox pushes is that one of the reasons that consoles have ever been able to even be remotely competitive against PC in terms of graphical output is that devs can really, really hone in and make sure they're optimizing as well as possible for a single chipset on exclusive. And that's why games like The Last of Us last gen on PS3 looked better than plenty of PC games that had much better hardware to work with because PC has to account for so many variables that they can't optimize. So there's a real benefit to that. And Sony do not want to do that. Sony is all about making sure they push their hardware to the limit that they see at the moment. And that means not worrying about previous hardware. But outside of that, I think you're right. Most those part, most third party games will go that route. But I don't think that the last of us part two will actually be re-released on the five one of the biggest things I've noticed is that it seems like Sony is leaning with everything they're saying, they're leaning towards a form of enhanced backwards compatibility, similar to what we see some 360 games get on the Xbox one, but some of them will just be native, like better load times just due to the hardware infrastructure of the SSD. So, I mean, I'm with you. Yeah. And I, I definitely, I, I, I respect, I mean, I, I'm going to buy one day one, but that's me. And that's because yeah. I really like tech. I'm that way with phones. I'm really bad. And that's actually one thing I wanted to bring up too, is it's so funny that I, it's crazy that consoles are like a really good value. And they have been for a long time because even when you spend $400 on a PS4 pro, uh, three years ago for me, and by the time that I get to PS5 next year, that'll be four years of me having a PS4 Pro, even though I've bought other ones. But that's because I didn't need to. I just wanted a cooler looking console. And I always sold my previous one. Yeah. But when and you're looking at it. that's how this now with backwards compatibility. Being exactly. When you look at it like that, though, what ends up happening is this thing where it's like, for me, I'm getting $400, four years, $100 a year. That's great. That's no problem with me. And at that point, it's like so many people get a new phone every year, then you have people like Saul and I who try and stretch our phones to two years as much as possible. And that, and th these are phones that like, uh, my current phone, OnePlus 60, uh, was what, $539, $549, I can't even remember. Uh, I got the six gig instead of the eight gig. Yours oh yeah, that's more. right, I got the eight gig. Um, for RAM. Uh, but anyway, so it's like, you know, we're spending that every two years on phones and a console is less than that for a, a four, two, six year period, depending on when you're going to buy it and when stuff's going to come out. And I think that's amazing. You know, I mean, it's really interesting that people complain about console prices so much when they spend so much money on phones. And at least for people like you and I, I use my console, not quite as much as my phone because your phone literally goes with you. But I mean, I use them both every day into a large amount. Yeah. So and they're worth, the, they're worth the purchases because, and like I said, with the, um, you can't hold tech back thing is I don't believe like, you know, I don't believe that there's no point in hindering tech if I want it and I can afford it. There's no point in me staying on another console, especially with backwards compatibility. If backwards compatibility wasn't a thing, absolutely, probably not a day one purchase. It yep. would not be. Yep. Uh, and that's why I think 100% uh, that Last of Us 2, Ghost, and um, 
any other big titles that come out between now and next gen, they will not re- be, re- be redoing for next gen. They'll just be backwards compatible. Yeah, Since and all... I think we only saw The Last of Us come to PS4 because it was a massively successful game. At that very tail end of the PS3. At the very tail end of the PS3. A lot of people didn't own a PS3, and they had numbers showing that a lot of PS4 players uh, have had come off of 360. So when you put all that together, and there's no way for PS3, at least as they continue <sighs> to say, there's no way for PS3 backwards compatibility to work on PS4, the only only option was to re-release it, which is also good for them because they make money. I mean, yeah. you know, they are a business. Uh, but I'm going to move into the news so we can get going. Uh, we all, we do have a little bit of time constraints today. For everyone, it is Blaze's birthday today. So you'll be seeing this tomorrow. You can give him a belated birthday if you would like to. But first thing in the news is EA Access is finally going to launch on PS4 almost five years after launching on Xbox One originally. Sony considered it to not be a good value for PlayStation fans, but have obviously moved past whatever hurdles held them up before. The service launches on July 24th for $5 a month or $30 a year, which I actually got to say, dude, I didn't realize it was that cheap. $30 a year, $5 a month, but $30 a year to be able to essentially play EA's entire catalog is a pretty compelling they see all the, they see all the people playing staying on PS Plus after getting Horizon Racing game and we'll then talk about that yeah and then another yeah. game they're like you know what we'll give them EA access it's not a good value but uh or it's not our good value but honestly I think that was PR speak I think that there was, was some kind of back end thing where Sony was like we don't agree with it because you, I, I really if I had to say very likely it was money because like I said Sony coming into this generation still trying to crawl their way into the black and what they needed to do with that was say hey we gotta be we are not gonna sit there and do business moves they're gonna hurt some of the potential profit we have we're right. selling a console at, at you know rates that are unseen going really crazy we want to make sure that we continue to make every bit of money we can off of the back end sale of every title. And I think that that's probably what it was, but either way it's gone now. So if you wanted EA access and you don't hate EA or think that even if you hate EA, $30 is worth also at least such, being able to try their game. Such a weird time to incorporate that too. After, you know, and all the stuff they've everyone. gone through. Yeah. And their recent, you would they're, think they're now, not microtransactions. They're surprise mechanics. Yeah, you would think now that would be the worst time to announce this kind of service. Not four years ago when everybody wanted it. Who knows? <laughs> Before Battlefront and stuff. But next thing up, uh, Crash Team Racing, as I brought up, Nitro Fueled gets its first major update starting July 3rd. It brings with it the introduction of the Nitro Tour Grand Prix, where you can earn Nitro points and unlock extra customization items from Grand, P- Grand Prix challenges. Tana, my girl from Crash Bandicoot 1, as everyone who's played that will know, will be unlockable throughout this as well. Uh, but if you don't unlock her throughout this period... She only will be available again if they decide to put her into the pit stop later at some point in time. So if you want her and you have the game, you might want to hit that up. Uh, A new track called Twilight Tour will be available in local arcade and online modes. The update also adds online leaderboards, adds improvements to the UI, adjusts the rate at which you earn Wumpa coins, and fixes some bugs the game has, including a specific save glitch that is exclusive to the PS4. Ha-ha, <laughs> exclusives. Um, it's it's not a big one, though. So, I mean, uh, I haven't had it, and I haven't really known anybody who's had it, and I know a couple people who picked the game up. So, But it is an issue, so hopefully that has not affected any of our listeners. Next up, much to everyone's chagrin, Destiny 2 players have been able to farm menagerie gear via an exploit at the end of the event since the activity launched. Bungie is fixing this, but considers it an error in your favor that they haven't necessarily rushed to fix. When the game patches on July 9th, the exploit will no longer be available. 
but they encourage people to farm it until that time. Yeah. And I kind of thought that was cool. It's like, hey, look, it's an error. It's not massive. It's not game-breaking. Well, you, uh, somebody keeps pointing out, like, now that Activision's gone, the fun bugs that are in the game, they're keeping in a little bit longer because Activision's probably like, take them out. Take them out now. <laughs> and, like, Lord of Wolves being, in, uh, being the boss that it is in PvP right now, they, yeah. they're keeping that in. And uh, so, somebody said the new raid boss should be at uh apostrophe uh the visionary the uh, visionary or something <laughs> like act the visionary so ac dash t the visionary yeah <laughs> oh that'd be good and have it be a vex boss yes <laughs> it worked i thought that was pretty cool though because it is a thing where there is a newfound freedom where if they want to do that they can even if like with something as crazy as lord of wolves that actually may breed disc like you know discontent for them at least in terms of the <laughs> Ooh, the Crucible run. I haven't been messed up by it yet because I haven't played much Crucible. But I have Lord of Wolves now, so look out, people. Oh, it's good. It's good in PvE, too. All right, next up, Skybound Games, which if you remember is the company that saved the final season of Telltale's The Walking Dead, are not only bringing the D&D classic games we talked about, like Planescape Torment, uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Night, uh, Icewind Dale, and then um, Neverwinter Nights, all of those in different packs or whatever. They're bringing all of those to us, but they're also going to continue their knack for extravagant collector's editions. I don't know if you remember the one that was the ultimate collector's edition for the uh, Walking Dead series. Telltale's entire Walking Dead that had a bunch of stuff that was crazy expensive. Yeah. Wasn't it $300 or $400? Something ridiculous. Uh, I can't even remember. But I think it was three or 400 What you're are the D&D right. classics you're talking about here? Those are the ones. I mean, Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, Icewind Dale 2. And they're just... Um, and Neverwinter Nights. Last time we talked about them, they're just... There's they're uh, three games. So you get Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, and they're... There's a, I mean, there's a little bit of like a remastering to them. But yeah, uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, which is one... It's considered one game. You buy them together. Right. Uh, you get Icewind Dale 1 and... Or Icewind Dale... And I think there's another one that they're doing with it. I can't even remember. It's, I know it's Icewind Dale, Neverwinter Nights, Planescape Torment. I think you get Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment together is what it is. Um, That's a cool deal, honestly. Yep. Yeah, but anyway, with what they're doing, they have revealed collector's packs for all three re-releases, each at $100. They have different things like a, a, a dice bowl that you can throw the dice into that looks like uh, one of the monsters from the game. And they also have a, a squeezy skull that's like a stress ball and stuff. It's, I mean, it's fun stuff, but it's cool. And they get a dice set that has like a metal dice tin. Uh, those are all individually $100 each for each of the three releases versions. But if you want to, you can spend $200, get the ultimate collector's pack, which comes with all three games all together and with the platform of your choice, as well as all of the collectibles from the other ones pulled uh, together. Except one thing. You don't get the pins. Yeah. In the yeah, ultimate you edition. You are right. You I was, I was just reading that in a comment, yep. which uh, it apparently has made... People mad. Those two people mad. <laughs> well, but it's also only two hundred dollars instead of being two fifty or whatever. It'd be three hundred you know I mean? if you bought three, right? They're if you bought all bucks. three, yeah, yeah. But you know, if they if they did a price break where the ultimate edition was two fifty and came with the pins, people probably be happy. But you know, it is what it is. You're never going to make everybody happy in these this day and age. And so. what is what is this monster called? That I is, can't remember. It's, it's in there. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's like is it devourer? No, uh, it's not. Well, maybe beholder. Beholder. Yes. Yeah. And I always remember because it's like they look like a big eye. And they have a bunch of eyes on them. Eye of the Beholder. Eye of the beholder. Yeah, that's a really cool <laughs> dice tray. Uh, yeah, and that's the first bot you, boss you fight in the first Bowder's Gate Dark Alliance game. Oh, is it really? Yep. That's a big famous boss to be mm-hmm. fighting for the first boss. That's cool. It was awesome. I love those games so much. I wish that they would get the treatment of brought over. I would play them in a heartbeat. Give them online play. You got Larian Ooh. making one of them. 
Uh, but no, that's just that's more Baldur's Gate, not Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Oh, okay, yeah, that's the problem. Made, Dark Alliance is more there. like Diablo dungeon crawler yeah. style, whereas Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Three that's coming are more of the traditional point and click, which I used to really like. And, I, and like I said, I don't. I hope it's not just um, Pillars of Torment. Pillars of Eternity. Eternity. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Pillars of, <laughs> it was a Torment's play. I'm kidding. I didn't get that far. But I'm hoping it's not just. I'm hoping it's just that game, and I'm not completely out of the genre. But it's just a genre that's not been very relevant unless you're on PC. And I don't play a lot of PC, so yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty interesting times. Next up, though, in rare fashion these days, Square Enix have released a playable demo of Dragon Quest Builders Two for players to download and try the game out before buying it. Square did the same thing with Dragon Quest Builders 1, if you recall. Uh, but I think that's great to see, and this is a trend that I hope to see more of in a time where demos are few and far between. I yeah, mean, that game was super cute on uh, Switch. And, uh, or not did, Switch, meet Vita. Um, and I plan on picking it up on um, Switch. Yeah, I really wish 2 was on Vita, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I played the demo of 2, or the first one on Vita, um, for a good little while. I just remember it ran pretty poorly which is what i'm worried the second one will happen on switch i played the demo too and that's what made me buy the game in terms of buying the game and playing the bulk of the game that i did i got through probably 75 percent of it because it takes you to a new area with each set of challenges mm-hmm. and uh but anyway i probably i mean i i didn't have any notable performance problems it was, it on was that, mainly frame but it was probably frame the, drops it, it might have been just a demo at that point too i don't know yeah the demo came before the release yeah i didn't want to risk the biscuit with uh i don't blame you yeah but i also just liked playing on Vita. So I would risk a little bit of well, this kind and of a game like Minecraft and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it's like if Minecraft has some frame drops, it's not going to, it's not make or break. Right. If I'm being honest, but I'm not going to pay it, $40 as long as it gaming. doesn't drop 10 frames, then I'm fine. You know well, what I mean? And, and games like Dragon Quest builders and stuff, those games work really well portable. They me. do. So. They, they're very fun for that. Uh, so yeah, that's good to see next up. Dragon Ball creator and author. Akira Toyama put out a special message that was blasted out to Bandai Namco's Twitter where he speaks about the upcoming Dragon Ball Z Kakarot game that was re-revealed, originally known as Project Z, and it was re-revealed at E3 uh, this year as Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. He mentions that the game will include new backstories that will be canon that have not been told in the manga and is a fresh take on the new on the franchise. And he kind of goes into the game being about, uh, you know, reliving in a slightly different way in a fresh take. Uh, Goku finding out his birth name and his Saiyan origin and all these things. Um, And, you know, my biggest thing about that, have you seen gameplay for this? Yeah. Did you watch? There's actually a really long gameplay thing. And someone mentioned it. And I, I was, of course, scrolling down in the comments. And I couldn't have said it better myself. It's the first thought that popped in my head. And then someone just already commented. So I, I already know what you're going to say. What was it? Um, Goku's Legacy. No. Oh. Even though that's one thing. The biggest thing about it is that someone said that it's like the, it looks like a modern game with the emptiness of a PS2 open world. And it's exactly what it looks like. I didn't think about that, but yeah, I didn't watch that much gameplay of it, but I did watch enough. I didn't, they didn't call out to me, but I can see what you mean. Yeah. It's like when you go to look at it, it just looks like a pointless open world. Like it's just there to say that it's an open world. And I'm really hoping that's not what it ends up feeling like, but it's, uh, you know, and I get that there's not been an open world console Dragon Ball game. So it's kind of like, you got to get what you can get. But at some point, man, it's like, Xenoverse did so well for them and they made so much money off of it and Xenoverse 2 and the Dragon Ball Fighters also did great for them. You'd think that they'd really want to put money behind the Dragon Ball franchise and really say, let's make the best game we can. 
this is when you know that something's up. When you look at the gameplay of the, how it looks when they're flying, it looks really stiff and the animation's done poorly. And someone legit said, for all of its problems, you actually might want to reach out to whoever it was that implemented the flying in Anthem because it at least feels natural and looks good. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, the one thing I'll say when I went back to playing Destiny 2 uh, after playing Anthem all week was that I immediately missed how good flying feels and how useful flying really is. But watching this gameplay, if you check it out, is this... It looks stiff, and I'm actually really worried about the game. For the long time, I thought this might finally be the game I wanted it to be, uh, which I've always wanted was a console 3D open-world game in the vein of what they always did with the Game Boy Advance Legacy of Goku games that were so good and so fun and just a great idea of you control the character, you can walk around the city, see what's going on, then you can go and tag these events and go Super Saiyan in real time, fight in real time with no load screens. It's well, awesome. Yeah, you know? and I inadvertently sped run my very first game, which is Goku's Legacy 1. Because you could play that game in like dude, two and a half hours. No, quicker than that. You could, it was you could really play short. It so fast. Yeah. And I remember I was actually kind of mad when I was a kid because I was like, this is a cool game. You only go Super Saiyan when you fight Frieza at the very end. Well, um, but that's canon, so I didn't buy that. No, I know I it is. That. I know. When Legacy um, of Goku 2 and, and Boost Fury, Bo you can Bo just... Bo Boost Fury. Boost Fury is the best one. It is. Wasn't that a DS game, too? Maybe, but I didn't play it on DS. Are you sure? I thought it was only on DS. No, I'm positive. So I, you played it on Game Boy Advance? Yep. I had the Game, Game Boy Advance so cartridge for a long time, too. I finally so got rid good. of it. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but yeah, next up, Cyberpunk 2077 was always likely to be a game with a massive install size, as is obvious from looking at it and how they talk about it. But CD Projekt Red revealed that the game will require at least 80 gigabytes of hard drive space, which still puts it under the hefty 99 gigs of Red Dead Redemption 2. But their wording of likely makes me think that it's like you know it's it's likely to require at least 80 gigabytes of hard drive space is what they actually said which makes me wonder if it has a chance of going bigger um it will likely ship across two blu-rays at that point as is becoming more common with what we already mentioned with Red Dead Redemption 2 being a two Blu-ray thing. And then, of course, Square E3 this year around mentioned Final Fantasy VII Remake's first part will be on two discs. So it is really odd that we moved away from multi-disc games for so long and now we're coming right back around to them. Yep. Um, as physical me, media though. has a hard time keeping up with the size of these games. And it's only going to get worse. That's what I was going to say. Follow me because it's not going to get worse. With 4K titles. Preload those games with pre-ordering on your PS4 digitally. You don't got to worry about having two discs. Oh, I'm sure. I didn't really mind two discs. You never you never touch the other disc. It's just for install. The discs are pointless. I know. At that point, <laughs> that's my philosophy with physical games. The discs are pointless. They are now, but at least they still give you a chance to install the game and play it years later, even if there's no way to download your... And you hope that future never comes. I don't think it ever course, will for main, but, main you consoles. Know, you hope that future never comes. I but mean, 30 years we'll down see. the line, we're on PS7. We'll see. Once PS3 games are no longer downloadable because they pull the server for PS3 store, that's when it's going to start being a real worry of, wow, at what point do my PS4 purchases become pointless? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but anyway... See, next thing up, PSVR Darling Moss gets new content as part of a free expansion. The Twilight Garden update adds a new chapter to the game, uh, adding new environments, challenges, and a new story, uh, and that's available now. So if you like the game, go jump back into it. I will be doing so soon because I love the game. It's one of the best VR games that there is so far uh, that really, really utilizes what VR does well. Um, and you know what? If you have been waiting to buy it, here you go. Now or never. Uh, not never, but you know, now's as good as time as ever. 
Bandai Namco, though, next up, announced a 3v3 fighting game for the popular One Punch Man series called One Punch Man, A Hero Nobody Knows. The game has no release window, as we have seen so far, but they did reveal a, a trailer alongside the announcement. And they also announced that the game will be only available through digital purchase with no physical version coming. Uh, I don't know if that's just for the West or if that's across the board. But either way, it's interesting. Uh, last up, though... Speaking of Saul talking about PS Plus uh, when we first started the news, PlayStation have revealed the PS Plus games lineup for July, and they are PES 2019, so Pro Evolution Soccer, in case you don't know what that is, and Horizon Chase Turbo, which, as one of our listeners, Matt Green, pointed out, just looks like a remake of a... I can't even remember the name of the game. It's a really old NES game, SNES game, one of the two. I didn't see that, I don't guess. Um, yeah, but it's just... It, he shared a... Hold on. He shared a screenshot of it, too. It was in Twitter. Um, and it made me laugh because it really does look, if you actually look at what they do with that, and not to say that game isn't for somebody, but it is a very odd choice. And I did pull up as well. Um, here it is right here. It uh, looks like a remake of OutRun. Oh, yeah. And that, I mean, dude, really, if you look at the gameplay, it looks like they just did that and brought all the stuff into 3D. OutRun, dude, was like... Which is an interesting graphic style, so I'm not really hating on the game. I don't know. I've never played it. I don't know how good it is. I'm pretty sure that's the one of the ones that you can find in the arcades back then. Probably. Either way, who knows? Um, but just for comparison's sake, uh, Xbox games with gold for July are going to be getting Inside. So that's the game for the same people that made Limbo. Yep. Um big crown showdown so essentially just like pes one game that pretty much everybody will know whether they've ever played one or not and inside i think is pretty big for an indie title oh it is yeah then you get a game that most people would not played horizon chase turbo and their mirror to that is big crown showdown but they also get through backwards compatibility their xbox 360 titles uh castlevania symphony of the night and Meet the Robinsons, which is the video game version of the Disney movie. Um, so, you know, I think... They're both about look even at this, in terms of garbageness. The only thing that helps Xbox is numbers. And by the fact that of all those things, if I had an Xbox, I'd be like, at least I get to play Symphony of the Night. But here's the biggest thing about well, that. Well, and Inside's really good, too. And Inside's good. I mean, and, P- and PES is a great... I mean, PES is a good game if you like soccer games. I prefer FIFA to them. Some people really prefer PES. It just depends on what you like. But they're also just odd choices. Um, so it is what it is. Corey, one of the things he mentioned is that they're technically both sports games, if you really think about it. Horizon, I mean, racing is a, essentially a sport. So it's kind of odd. That's the way they chose to go that route. Yeah. They always talk about wanting to have a lit lineup that tries to fit as many people as possible. With only two games, it's really hard. It's, it, yeah, really hard. Uh, but either way, I think this gets into one thing, right? One thing I talked about with the PS3 when they finally decided to kill, kill the PS3 games off and then the Vita games off is that by the time PS3 ended, the last PS3 game they gave, if I'm not mistaken, was Metal Gear Solid 4. And that was essentially the only really great PS3 title that had not been on the service at some point in time. Well, you would think that by now, they would have easy access to just put on the service. By now, it's, it, it seems like we should have had uh, Killzone, Shadowfall. We should have had Horizon at this point, uh, or at least I think it's getting close enough to put Horizon on there. Yeah, I think if Horizon has hits Bloodborne ever been this year. has Bloodborne ever been free? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, probably about eight months ago. So then, like Dark Souls three would be pretty cool to have. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that there's a lack of games that could go on there, but oh, there's definitely not a lack one of, games of the things that's going to happen is that I think a lot of people view the games or the value of the service going down because of the cutting of the PS3 and Vita games. Yep. Uh, but here's the thing: less games per P- month. PS Plus has been going since 2011. Uh, whereas games with gold did not start until the Xbox One launched, so they had a two-year head start on them. Then games with gold really didn't do the same thing where they were putting out so many games and hitting instant games collection. So if we really look at it, it's like Sony was giving, by the time PS4 hit, six games a month for five years. And that's really hard to keep up with even with the how many games release these days and it not be stuff like Life of Black Tiger. Like, I mean, you know what? For all the for all of the crap that we can give Sony about the fact that this is not really a great month, and I really think that's a that's a fair thing to say. It's not yeah, a great it's month. It's not a great... I would, and I would say it's not boxes, a good month. But when you even look at that, it's like th- what they have to do essentially is say, well, here are games we can get that we at least know are well-made games, whether they're in genres that you like or not, or whether you could see them as a real huge value or not. They could easily be throwing My Name is Mayo and giving you that for whatever reason, and Life of Black Tiger, and that one game that I can't even remember what it's called that's like stole a bunch of Unreal Engine assets from another game. And But my point being is that with how crazy the store is right now, which is a problem that needs to be fixed as well, yeah. and across all, be it Steam. Well, they pick these games. It's not like it goes into a randomizer. Of course, of course. But that's what I mean is that... They would have to try hard to If they wanted games. to keep going with six games, they could. Well, but yeah. there's no reason to. And at some point, you know, you are getting late into a generation. And I do agree that the most obvious choices throughout the months, every month should just have one big PlayStation exclusive, like the Order 1886, even if it was a middle game, been free. if you give it to somebody for free, honestly, they'll be like, hey, I hadn't played the game. It's it been looks on beautiful. It's got a cool store. It's never been free. Bam. Yeah, exactly. Kills on Shadowfall often sits around 4 dollars to $10. Yeah, give it free. You're giving us a, a year-old sports game. Killzone a, is weird because Racer. it's been free in other areas, but it's not been, been free, free here. Us. And that's, that's what we're talking about. It seems yeah. to have hit a weird my, wall of... I don't think they're going to do it again because they've become more homogenous across well, the my, areas. My biggest issue is, is that with the millions upon millions of people who pay for this monthly, for it still not to even offer good games to go with it, at this point it has to... Like they they're basically crutching you into the fact that you're paying for multiplayer for this. Yeah, and and, and now that there are no real perks that go with it, all, except cloud saving. I couldn't tell you the last time I was like, "Hey, that PS Plus game looks good. I'm gonna download it and play it." Yakuza was the last one I actually downloaded. Never played it. I've, I there was one I downloaded Edith Finch because Edith Finch. I, I wanted to play. That is a good one. I actually will say that's a great choice in my opinion. That was a great choice. Um, I mean, last month was good too. Sonic Mania. Yep, Sonic Mania and Borderlands. Yeah, um, and, I, and again, some of these are games you already so, own. Some yeah. of them are games that you've already Nothing played I the can, hell out of. Yeah, and you can't use that as an example of why that month is bad. Like, oh, you are I already own these two games. Good yeah, for that, you. That, yeah, that's not a bad month then. Yeah. So it's, I think it's important to kind of look and say like, yes, PS Plus's value has been questionable lately it's not been terrible they've had good months and bad months but the price increase is one of the things that got a lot of people um and that's just you know it's where we are i, I don't know what else to you know it's i don't know what to do about it It was 50 dollars for a long time when xbox was always 60 so i mean you got to give them that too they also undercut their well, competition they, for they, a long time they did and then they went up to games off still have uh, intermittent problems with yes, servers so yeah. it's just it's like come on sony like, even though apparently they did move their servers off to some microsoft based thing didn't know that, but apparently that's why there's been a lot less. It may not have been Microsoft, but they moved their server racks and everything that held up the back end to a different service instead of the, instead of outside of just their own. Someone else is well, good. helping house them, and that's yeah. why 
for problems have been who, far lesser. Well, I will be, give for, them that. For for as many people that play online, they need good servers. They need yeah. good server bases for them. And I do think that you know they could Almost have never stretch. completely guessed how well they were going to do with uh, with PS4. You know they didn't quite need something that crazy, but PS4 is a monster. <laughs> Bringing that back around. Uh, but anyway. That leads us to essentially be the end of the news. So hopefully you learned something you didn't know or at least got our opinions on something you already knew about. And we are nearing up where we're going to finish. So, okay. Yeah, but I think it's a fun topic either way. So this topic is going to come courtesy of Mr. El Chabib. And something I've been thinking a lot about myself, and this is actually based off of he mentioned it in the question too. This is based off of stuff that we've been seeing in the TV market. And one of the things we brought up earlier uh, was how, you know, consoles were looking at the phone market and mimicking the phone market to some extent by doing things like copying mid-gen refreshes and stuff like that. You good. Um, but yeah, copying mid-gen refreshes, which was a very phone-based idea of where, you know, phones given release with a new phone every year because the technology gets better and people are willing in that two in, in a two-year window, most people are willing to upgrade their phone uh, if not every year. So when you look at it like that, uh, you know, then you look at what they're doing now, it's like gaming because it's just one of those things, it ends up copying some of the under, other industries that are around it. And they say, okay, we're going to do a mid-gen refresh. Well, now they're looking and saying, well, streaming is becoming a thing. People are going to want to stream games for ease of accessibility. And we're going to move toward that. But the problem with that is even with TVs, and actually, let me read the question first and we'll go in. So LTBeep says, all this talk about streaming games recently got me thinking about the future of games and publishers. Will EA access become like Netflix where EA games can only be accessed through their portal? Well, Bethesda, for their own Hulu, and I don't know what he meant right there. Oh, well, Bethesda formed their own Hulu, I think is what he meant, and start streaming games only through their app. Well, Square Enix released their games on their own HBO-like apps. So essentially what he's getting at is, will every publisher pull all of their games back and put them on their own services to where now, instead of it being easy and having most of the games in one spot, outside of some obvious you know things that will have to be exclusive, is that going to happen similar to what's happening on TV? And he said, it's probably far-fetched, but with the talk of publishers' own streaming service, where would this leave PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo at? So I think he gets into the heart of the matter very quickly, and it's something that, you know, people love The Office. It's a great point of reference for everybody. Yeah. The Office has been a big point of contention lately because Netflix had to announce that The Office is leaving Netflix in January of 2021 when the contract expires, and NBC will be taking it back. Now, here's the problem with that. NBC is taking it back because they're creating their own streaming service that you'll have to pay for for them, and it has all their content. Disney pulled all their content from Netflix because they're making their own streaming service and taking everything with it, all right? Everybody is starting to do this. HBO doesn't have their stuff on there because you want to play the HBO thing. Stars, they want you to pay for that. It gets to this problem where the initial idea behind streaming TV, and this is going to be the same for games, is that you can make the TV purchasing or the TV watching experience and movies even so much easier because instead of having to pay for weird cable stuff and have all these middlemen that are telling you what channels they will and won't have and for what prices you will and won't have to pay something like Netflix and Hulu, you could have either one of them and have a lot of options or have both of them and have essentially everything that you could watch on TV across both of them for the most part. Yeah. 
So that was at most, you know, $7 a month, $5 a month or whatever, because Hulu is $5.99. Uh, so you're talking $20 a month max, and you have pretty much everything you've ever wanted to watch. Hulu lets you watch up-to-date stuff uh, pretty much the day after it comes out. Netflix lets you binge watch other things. Bam, there you go. You get the best of both worlds. But as time has gone on, because streaming has picked up in popularity so much that people didn't expect, Amazon gets into the game, starts doing their own thing, getting exclusives to them making their own exclusives, Hulu making their own exclusive, Netflix making their own exclusives. That's not really an issue. I actually think exclusives are fine. It's the same viewpoint I have with consoles. Exclusives are a reason to try and drive people to your platform. If you've right. got great exclusives, people will come there. Then they benefit from the third-party platform, the third-party games that will just inevitably be on your thing, and that's how you win. And we know from Netflix and Hulu that you can have something like Parks and Rec on Netflix and Hulu at the same time. It's not contractually obligated to be on one. They both get benefits from it. But when you start to look at what's going on now, where every person who does content essentially says, we're going to pull How I Met Your Mother from everything because we're going to make a CBS uh, streaming service and we're going to run it. And every CBS show that you've ever liked will be on it, but you can't watch it anywhere else. You have to pay us $6 a month. Well, $6 a month isn't that much money, but what if I like How I Met Your Mother, The Office, Breaking Bad, a Netflix exclusive, then you have, suddenly you're paying for eight streaming services. You know, you want the Disney movies. There goes, the, you know, as another one. Bam. Suddenly you've got eight streaming services. You're paying anywhere from seven, five to $10 per month per streaming service. And now you're at a ridiculous standpoint where the ease of access you once had to watch everything under, or most of your things under one to two at minimum portals is gone. The ease of access of making sure that the content's all in just one spot is I think one of the biggest things that pulled people toward cutting the cord as it was referred to uh, during the TV time. And I think that that's a huge issue that can come with streaming games. And it's going to be one of the issues that's going to face Google Stadia. Is Google Stadia not going to have access to games because they will be a competitive streaming service? And that actually is funny. This could be the death of Stadia alone. Yeah. And like that's the thing, right, is that when you think about it monthly, I play. I pay for. I don't really include Amazon in the equation because I buy that yearly. Uh, you can still buy Prime yearly. Well, I mean, I pay for it. Like, I mean, I'm actually. I don't know. The reason I asked is because I would rather, if I can get a discount for buying it yearly, I'd rather just do that because I actually like the shipping bonus. I, I find that I buy enough per well, month TV, to make it worth it. I've never used their streaming, but I'm gonna start. It's, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what I like about it is that I pay for that. And then I pay for the uh, deal with HBO that you get with it, where HBO Go is cheaper, mm -hmm. uh, because or the HBO channel is cheaper, I guess you could say. But um, so I pay for that, Hulu, Netflix, and um, that's it for my TV side of things. But what I will say is, is that with gaming side of things, I pay for PS Plus, I pay for the and the um, Games Pass Ultimate bundle, um, and you don't pay for Nintendo's online right now. Yeah, I do, but that's so cheap. I don't count. It, that. it is, but I'm saying it's still something to bring into the conversation, even yeah. if that's what we want to bring in is is pricing. Well, that's what I'm doing is like the yeah. pricing for it. So as you can see, like many many things monthly, I would say on average a hundred dollars monthly is subscription services, and they're not like loot boxes and nothing like that or loot crates. I mean, it's like uh, actual services that you have to have pretty much to do what you want to do. If you want to watch TV, you have to have Netflix or Hulu or something. Uh, and if you want to play video games on multiplayer, you got to have PS plus and you know, um, I actually, uh, I, um, download the ultimate games pass thing back, um, uh, earlier this month for, um, mm -hmm. 
for PC. E3, yeah, for PC to get, you know, games like uh, Super Hot and uh, Metro, even though Metro runs like garbage on PC. But, um, yeah, so it can get really expensive really, really quickly, and it can almost get to a point of uh, contention for your financial stability because you're going to forget how many services you truly have until you go weed them all out, and you may not realize, oh, yeah, I have, I do have, you know, Hulu that I never use, or I do have Netflix that I haven't used in four months or something like that, like where you are forgetting you're paying for something because you have to manage 10 of them. And yeah, it can yeah, get yeah. to a part in which the just the cost outweighs the value for some of them. And what's funny is I think that by moving to that model, <laughs> something blazed at me, uh, by moving to that model, okay, one of the other things that you're going to find out with, you know, one of the other things that I think they'll find out but, you know, they're businesses, and I know that they're, for the most part, smart. I mean, they make a lot of decisions also, like, again, EA calling loot boxes not gambling but surprise mechanics. It's at some level. Scummy. You, you've got to be like, did you really think that was going to go over well with consumers? Like, No, they, they knew it was going to go over with consumers. But they're trying to keep themselves well, they, out of legal trouble. No, they knew it would go over well with stockholders. Well, well that's yeah, all but, they care about. You know, it was also for their court stuff, so I think it was really them trying to find a way to, to – not just go to court and saying, yeah, it's gambling. And then court being like, well, gambling's illegal. Bam, 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 bam. But, um, you know, when you look at it like that, it's like at some extent you have to think that one of the great things about the traditional buying method is that you buy what you want when you want it. And it's actually the, the true level of freedom almost, right? If you want to go back to the TV uh, comparison, you know, before TV was always rounded up by cable, we're really lucky in the gaming aspect that we were never bound to those things Gaming has almost always been a la carte. You buy per what you want, which is the idea that a lot of people want with TV. And what a couple of people, like I think Sling TV lets you do, which is buy the channel you want so you can watch it when you want it. Well, in this case, you're literally buying the the game you want when you want it. Yeah. The closest thing that TV's had to that is once the series are done or whatever, or a season's done, eventually they release on DVD, and then you buy what you want per what you want. And that's good. Or VHS. Works. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you're... <laughs> Or, or Betamax. Um, but, you know, when you're looking at that, it's like... What would that have been, Jeopardy? <laughs> what was the competition? <laughs> There's a spider web on my mic stand. Uh-oh. Spider's going to come eat Saul. Um, you know, losing the forest for the trees here. But no, what, what I'm getting at is that at some point you have to feel like people are going to stop playing certain publishers games if they lean too heavily into this because like Saul just mentioned there's going to get into this hassle of how much you have to keep up with to pay and remember to pay uh, or even want to pay if you can afford it all those things on top of the fact that when you're across a bunch of different portals and not easily to switch between you're going to find yourself I, and I think this is almost a human trait you're going to find yourself in one one of the portals more than anything else. It's like I have Netflix and Hulu, but I watch Hulu right now more than anything else because it has How I Met Your Mother and Scrubs. Right. But the moment that that Netflix has something I want, I'm not going to suddenly do Netflix and Hulu. I'm just going to go to Netflix and then stay on Netflix binge for a while. I pay for both because my wife kind of bounces between them, but she doesn't watch the same way completely as me. And even then, there's still this thing of she wanted to watch um, a TV show that she'd been watching. Peppa Pig. No, that's God. She wanted to watch uh, Parks and Rec on Netflix, and we share Netflix with my mom because I don't pay for Netflix. That's actually what, what yeah, moral of the story. Lucky. My mom bummed mine for years, and then when I decided to cancel it because they took How I Met Your Mother off, she said, well, I'll pay for it, and you can still use it. And I said, okay. Um, 
But, you know, and she was mad about that. That's what I'm getting at is at some point it's like people want to stay in one thing they're familiar with. And undoubtedly, if I've known anything about PC gaming, for sure, if you've ever done any of that, Steam works entirely different from Origin, works entirely different from Uplay, works entirely different from Epic Games Store. And you get comfortable with one thing. It's very much into the idea of why I think most people choose one console and stick with it as much as possible is that there's a, you like familiarity. You can get around the console quicker. You can get to what games you want to play quicker. And having to constantly dip in and out of different platforms and get used to their layout and the way they do things, it gets to be a point where you're like, uh, this is a hassle. I'm just going to stop paying for EA. I don't like the games that much anyway. It's fine. And then it'll be that thing where, right, EA shows off a game that you actually are excited for. For argument's sake, let's say EA shows off the Star Wars Fallen Jedi Order game. And you go, I don't really like any other EA game, but I kind of want to pay that play that but playing that in this future where everything's based around streaming do i have to do i really want to just pay for a month of ea potentially forget and then pay for multiple months and then potentially forget again and see what happens it's like is it worth the hassle especially if and the then cancellation. you're gonna go i just won't play the game and then that's what that's gonna be an issue you well know, the you're cancellation gonna policy customers. all you have to do is make it so that you have to talk to a real life human being and 99 percent of people are not going to want to talk to I somebody that the truth I want uh, no confrontation whatsoever. Dude, I probably would never shop at FYE again. But that's 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 a different story for a different podcast. But why don't you guys let us know what y'all think about this potential future that we may be facing? And even on a much smaller scale, how do you feel about just say three publishers make a streaming service on top of what we have now? And if that if that's too much and if it is or why it isn't, and uh let us know for next week's community's take. But uh yeah. There you go. Thank and you all we... for hanging out and joining with us once again. Even though sometimes these episodes have to be short because we're real life adults. <laughs> they, we are real life adults. Anyway, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week. But until next time, this has been Triangle Square. Thank you guys. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V. This is the last time. Good good luck, buddy, with all your stuff. Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan Douglas Below. Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stephen Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Thomas McKinnis, Brandon Edwards, and Sean One Neo. If you would like to support us, go to patreon.com slash nartech or click the link down in the description below. Thank you.